0: Hi, this is Yolanda, and I'm sharing with you from the memoirs of Joseph Smith III, 1832-1914, to and we're on page 211, and um, we're on chapter 24. The heading of this section is called Incidents by the Way. An incident of the year 1884 may be mentioned here as it was the result of the only attempt I ever made in the role of matchmaker, aside from those matches I made for myself. A bachelor brother named Alma Newberry, who ran a farm near Panama, Iowa, desired a companion and wrote me asking if I knew of some eligible young women among the saints whom I could recommend as suitable for a wife. Living at Lamoni, where brother... Valentine White, his wife Mary, and some children who had been born to one or the other of them through former marriages. One of these was Stella, the old daughter, who was, in my opinion, a most estimable young woman. I wrote Brother Newberry to this effect, adding that he had better come and see for himself. He came, and the result of their acquaintance is recorded in my memorandum book, as a marriage ceremony, performed on May 22nd. 1884. I may add that this union was a fairly happy and successful one. After living a while on their farm, they moved to Lamoni. Years later, he died there, leaving the wife with a small family of children, who have grown up to be good, active citizens. I dedicated two churches this year, one at Bevier, Missouri on May 4th, and one at Independence on July 6th. The dedication at independence seemed notable from the fact that it signalised the return of the saints once driven from the city and the state, their restoration to rights as citizens and their privilege to enjoy their religion and worship honourably when and where they pleased. The church building at Bivia was the result of the efforts of Welsh coal miners gathered at that place and at Macon. Accounts of these dedications were given in the heralds of that period. Elder Jonas Chatburn of Harion, Iowa, had a son, George, who was a student in the State Agricultural School at Amos. About this time, he came into some prominent notice there through the following circumstances. At the chapel exercises of the school it was a custom to have addresses by ministers of the various schools of religion to avoid unnecessary friction a rule had been established prohibiting such speakers from presenting the tenets of their denominational faith on those occasions whether or not there was wisdom in this rule is a question that may be left to the consideration of those interested in such matters students who were church members were granted the privilege of naming to the principal, some preacher of their faith, who would then be invited to occupy, the expense of his attendance being paid by the college. Upon upon one of such occasion, a certain elder Bartlett of Des Moines, representing one branch of the Methodist Epispo, Episcopal, <laughs> excuse my over my words, faith, was invited to speak, and probably, because through oversight he had not been made cognizant of this rule presented not only some of his own church doctrine but made a rather pointed arrangement against what he pleased to call Mormonism. He went so far in this assault as to state that he understood there were students of that dangerous sect even attending that school and warned his hearers against them. This was too much for young Chatsburn. His indignation was thoroughly aroused by this the viciousness of the uncalled for attack and he immediately stood up and defended his faith vigorously calling the preacher to task for violating the established rule of the school in that manner the incident created quite a stir among the students and to placate them and to abate the indignation of brother Chapman and his friends the young man was told he might invite an elder of his church to address the next chapel assembly He named me, and accordingly, I received an invitation to attend June 15th and occupy the speaker's desk. I had not been informed at that time of the rule referred to forbidding the introduction of doctrinal points in these chapel talks, and thus I too broke over but what i presented was considerate and temperate enough i managed to present some prominent parts of our faith without entering upon a doctrinal discourse or attempting any specific reply to the abusive charges of elder bartlett My effort was well received by the principal, who treated me very courteously, made me welcome at his home, and took me with him to attend services at his own church while I was in the city. He apologised for the attack which had been made upon us, and warmly congratulated me upon the temperate and constructive tone of my address. Altogether, I was very well treated by him and his fellow officials and teachers, as well as by the many whom he or brother Chapman introduced to me. One incident which occurred at the chapel comes to mind. At the close of my remarks, I gave opportunity for questions upon what I had presented. No one took advantage of the privilege, but as I passed from the room, a man sidling up to me said, What about those plates, sir? In my talk, I had made no reference to any plates, and not thinking he contemplated offence, I answered, What do you mean? I said nothing about plates. But this time, several gathered about. And the man said, rather testily, I mean the plates of the Book of Mormon, where are they, sir? What became of them? Why, sir, I know no more about them than what I have read. I understood that they were returned to the person from whom they were received in the first place. Lifting his head, he stuck his nose up in the air and said quite offensively, Too thin, too thin, much too thin. This started a ripple of laughter from the circle of listeners, recognising the man's belligerency. I retorted, Will you please tell me, sir, where the Ark of the Covenant is? He stammered a little, and asked, What has that to do with it? It has this to do with it, sir, I answered, The church denomination which you represent is just as much dependent upon a knowledge of the whereabouts of the Ark of the Covenant as the faith which I present is dependent upon knowing the whereabouts of the plates from which the Book of Mormon was translated. Another heartier ripple of laughter showed that the bystanders appreciated this reply, and that they rather enjoyed the discomfiture of my inquisitor. Later I learned that the unwarranted attack of Elder Bartlett, the sturdy, defensive stand taken by Brother Chapman. And the effort I was permitted to make in consequence had turned to our favour and some good resulted to our cause. Young brother Chapburn proved to be quite an eloquent defender of his beliefs and his position was respected by his associate students. After his graduation, he was given a chair in the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, which he is still occupying. Next heading Book of Mormon Manuscript At the conference it was decided that it would be advisable to secure the privilege of examining the manuscript of the Book of Mormon, then in possession of David Whitmer of Richmond, Ray County, Missouri, for the purpose of comparing it with the editions put out by the Church in order to correct errors of any description which may have crept into them through transcription and publication, A committee consisted of Alexander H. Smith, William H. Kelly and Thomas W. Smith was appointed to confer with Elder Whitmer and, if possible, arrange for such examination and comparison. Through correspondence, it was learned that Brother Whitmer would consent to the proposition provided I should be present during the time the work was done he seemed willing to trust me with the temporary custody of the historic sheets but unwilling that the others would examine them without my presence of course i knew there would be perfect safety to the manuscript in the hands of any one of the committee named and that the rights of elders at whitmer would not be disregarded or invaded in any way and no wrong advantage would be taken of the permission he had granted. However, I was pleased at the expression of confidence he seemed willing to place in me, and made arrangements to go with the committee to Richmond and remain with them as long as the work might require. We, re- we reached that city on July the 8th and secured quarters at Dow's boarding house, where we stayed and visited during that evening. We found next day that Elder Whitmer had arranged for one or two others also to be present during the examination of the manuscript, as he felt himself unable to undertake alone the responsibility of the important supervision. Accordingly, Philandrefer of Page, a relative of Elder Whitmer, by marriage, and John C. Whitmer were assigned the duty, Mr. Page spending the greater part of the time with us. After lunch we began began the solemn task, repairing to the house of Elder Whitmer in his presence we all knelt down and implored divine sanction and the aid of the Holy Spirit to direct and confirm us in the duty we were striving to perform. It was agreed that one of us should hold and read the manuscript, while others holding respectively copies of the Palmyra edition, the Narva edition and the edition published by the reorganisation, carefully compared What was read with what they held as we were to take turns in reading aloud as might be found desirable. The committee continued at work daily from 7 in the morning until 6 at night with an intermission for lunch. On Friday a recess was called and during that weekend we visited Independence. We returned on Monday to continue our task which was finally finished on the 17th. We felt that the work was well and faithfully done. Brother T. W. Smith and Alexander kept a daily record, making notes as the work proceeded. The result of the examination was subsequently reported, being printed in the Herald in August of that year, 1884. In reflecting upon this work it must be conceded that it was timely, for a great deal had been said, and much speculation indulged in, about the differences said to exist between the various editions and its original manuscript. The result of our examination showed plainly that there had been no vital divergences from the text and descriptions, the supposed errors being chiefly in verbiage by few, of which was the sense even slightly altered." The list of differences showed a few variations in spelling and except in one instance the members of the committee were entirely in unity in their understanding of the manuscript as found. In one place in the published book occurs the phrase arrest the scripture while in other places under similar construction in the sentence the word arrest is found as rest meaning twisting or changing out of place. In one place in the manuscript, we found the word written in such a way as to warrant the opinion that the word was really arrest. At least, so thought the majority of the committee. From this conclusion, I disagree, believing it to be the same word with the same meaning as the word "rest" found in other places. My remembrance of the time spent in the home of Elder David whitner Whitmer, while engaged in this work was one of the pleasantest episodes of that period. It was especially appreciated because it afforded us an intimate association with the aged patriarch, and because we thoroughly enjoyed the friendly and interesting communion together as we read and discussed the passages of the sacred and historic Old Document. At the close of our work, those who had sat with us from time to time, John C. Whitmer and the other relative philander page expressed their satisfaction and approval of the fairness and courtesy with which father whitmer was treated by the committee upon a few occasions during the sessions elder whitmer was visited by citizens or strangers calling upon one business or another One Colonel Giles, a resident of Richmond, brought a stranger by the name of Captain Fall and their interview with Elder Whitmer resulted in their being brought into the room where we were at work, where they were introduced to us and permitted to see the manuscript. The Colonel, in an affable and friendly manner, discussed with Elder Whitmer the evidence the latter had borne as a special witness to the divinity of the Book of Mormon. Rather suggestively, he asked if it might not have been possible that he mr whitmer had been mistaken and had simply been moved upon by some mental disturbance or hallucination which had deceived him into thinking he saw the personage the angel the plates the yeoman thumbing and the sword of laban How well and distinctly I remember the manner in which Elder Whitmer arose and drew himself up to his full height, a little over six foot, and said in solemn and impressive tones, No, sir, I was not under any hallucination, nor was I deceived. I saw with these eyes, and I heard with these ears, and I know whereof I speak. Everyone present, including the colonel and his friends, stood under the spell of the impressive silence which followed this emphatic declaration. It was as if we were in the presence of the angel himself. I went out of the room with the visitors, and the colonel remarked, "'It is somewhat difficult, Elder Smith, for us everyday men to believe the statement made by Mr Whitmer,' But one thing is certain, no man could hear him make his affirmation as he has to us in there, and doubt for one moment the honesty and sincerity of the man himself. He fully believes he saw and heard, just as he has stated he did. We felt wonderfully blessed at being permitted to hear for ourselves this positive and emphatic testimony of Elder Whitmer. At the close of our task, as he bade us goodbye, he expressed his gratitude to God that the manuscript had been preserved thus far, and for this visit of our committee, and the complete and satisfactory examination and comparisons which had had taken place. For he believed, as we did, that it would set at rest much controversy, which indeed it has done. I'm going to leave that there and carry on the rest in another episode. Thank you for listening.